Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Secure Networks, the index packet forensic files with your host, Michael Morris. Our special guest this week is Steve Tertonis, Director of Defense <laughs> Sales for Endace. Steve, welcome. Thank you for joining. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. So I've been working in the defense industry now for, well, defensive cyber for nearly 25 years now. So I'm old school. Um, I've worked on both sides of it. So I've been um, client consultant, actually delivering and deploying these things. And I've been with Endace now for... 10 years, nearly 10 years, which is a good old spell. Um, and I now head up the government and defense um, side of the business for EMEA. That's really good. Steve, your experience and your longevity in, in working in the defense space is one of the reasons we wanted to get your insights for our, mm. our listeners. So I think it'd be good to start off with, with your view of the overall threat landscape that government customers are having to deal with in today's climate. And what are some of the big challenges that keep government security teams up at night? Yeah, sure. The nice thing, the nice thing about government cyber, the nice thing about government cyber is it's, it's really interesting. If, if you're technically cyber biased, the government landscape for cyber, I find much more interesting than the commercial side of the world. And there's a few reasons for that. Things go beyond just technical capabilities. It's all about... Uh, nation scale, state scale, cyber, cyber terrorism. It's the most complicated network environments in the world. It goes from the, the technical to the physical. It goes huge amounts of resource and major global players all, all battling it out um, for, for information superiority. So you get everything from massive um, world leaders with entire divisions of um, cyber, cyber people and spies and, and so forth all deliberately targeting assets of their, of their foes. Um, so it means that from a cyber standpoint, it, it, it's um, the insider threat. So spies, people being blackmailed. Um, it's the, it, it's the um, extremely high value assets. So you get things like, you know, battleships and bases and forward operating locations um, all being targets um, and um, at cyber risk and having to work in that environment is, is it's a really interesting environment to work in because you have to think you have to think so much further beyond just oh, firewalls locking down and so forth because you, you don't really know what, what you're going to expect you do you know there's this precedent for what, what what's going to come in but but the threat could come from anywhere and when you're dealing with fixed locations mobile assets space satellites mobile communications it's it's the, the, the threat is, is, is significant um, because it's always there and it's lives at stake. And the people that you're defending against have got so much resource and are so highly motivated to, to, compromise, to compromise your systems. So, yeah, the, the, the threat landscape within government defense or critical national infrastructure is it, 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 it's, it's real and it's, it, it's severe and it, it's extremely variable. No, I, I think that's tremendous insight. I think, like you said, it's a level of beyond what most enterprise corporations have to deal with because of the life and death, death nature of things. They get so, it. You know, if, if, you look, if you look at who, who, who is out there and, and what's high profile at the moment you know, within, within the government space, it's, you know, it's power, gas, military intelligence, um, counterterrorism, and that sort of stuff. But within the commercial space, um, you've got things like 
intellectual property theft. If you've invested, if you're a pharmaceutical and you've invested billions in your latest drugs or, or whatnot, um, you know, the, 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 this actual live thing is going on right now where nations are head to head because of because of commercial theft. So yes, the, 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 it's different, um, but, but 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 some of the threats are are comparable. Yeah. No. Great point. Yeah, that makes sense. How do you think it's evolved in the last five or 10 years, right? The, the security landscape is definitely changing. Um, how do you view it differently? The thing is, I find within the government spaces, um, it's, things, things take a long time, okay? Nothing happens quickly. There's no dynamic response to things. There's, not, there's no adoption of the latest, whatever which it is, just because of, quite simply the scale that everything operates at when you've got hundreds of thousands of users across very long standing capabilities and, 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 and assets have been put in the ground and those assets are due to last for 50 years. You, you don't get a, a, a big um, shift, uh, if you like, from, from what, what was done before to what is done now. However, that being said, everything is going more electronic and is going online and people are becoming more reliant on um, frontline data. Um, so, so, so there is more cyber capability. There's more cyber risk out there, um, and more resource and money has been thrown at it. However, the methodologies are, are very comparable to what to the way that where they the way they they have been. Um, it's just more resources getting thrown at it. We are seeing we are seeing a push more to open source. I think historically people have been buying. Um, buying equipment and, and just deploying it and hope, hoping it would go. There, there is a, a, an acceptance that more custom customization is going to happen. And there's certainly a desire to bring more of that um, experience in-house. We, we see a lot of that with um, Snort and Zeek and, and all those sorts of capabilities. So, yeah, the, 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 there's no dramatic shift between now and five and ten years ago, but there is there is a pull towards getting more in-house capability and, and there's certainly a, a push towards open source. Well, that, that's some interesting points there. Uh, what do you see governments doing to evolve or combat this, this changing landscape, right? The, mm. If there's more, uh, obviously the scale, you mentioned scale, you mentioned the push for, for more open source tools, what other things do you see governments doing to to evolve and combat the the threat level? Mm. Automation um, is a really important part of what we're what we're seeing as well. So so because um, the the length of the the deployments or the architecture of of the of, of government departments is is so vast, there's huge amounts of information that has to be absorbed for everything from logs on servers to switches to routers to firewalls and wherever else you know um, machine and SCADA type um, things wherever there is IP um, capability or wherever there is technical capability there's there's risk and in order to try and manage that risk statistics are gathered from everywhere everywhere and trying to make sense of that is extremely difficult and there's a big push to try and automate that and a lot of that is just done through the workflow um, so what we get is um, analysts with many, 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 many tickets coming in each day, and it's just about trying to get the relevant information to first-year analysts to say, okay, this is a risk. Verify is this a risk real? Is it not real? If it's real, pass it on to the next tier. You know, if it's a malware issue, provide it to a malware expert. If it's a, a rogue insider, 
pass it to the whoever, whoever would deal with that um, in order to try and mitigate that risk. So yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a big focus on on automation just in order to deal with the vast quantity of alerts that come in on a you know, hourly basis. No, that's a great. But I continually hear of uh, alert fatigue. I hate that word, but mm. uh, uh, too too many too much volume of of events and alerts to look through. So, yeah, and that, and, oh, sorry, but things like, um, well, what, what's helping this is things like the machine learning capabilities in there and all the various statistical analysis of these, of these things. And so there's, there's a, that, that we, we're seeing a, a large push for, for just trying to, to help analysts deal with the volume and make sense of, of, of what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, along those lines, besides just the volume, are, are there specific types of security challenge that governments government entities in particular are facing in the security space, whether it be uh, classes of threats, whether it be uh, targets of information, whether it be challenges with tools, are, are there specific things that, that come to mind? Um, there's always going to be the zero day type stuff, but not the, the, I don't think there's any one particular threat, which, which is the problem. You know, it's, right. it's not just trying to protect financial services databases. It's trying to protect really old equipment that's in the ground. I mean, it's trying to protect um, mobile comms gear. It's trying to protect battleships. It's trying to protect aircraft. It's try- so, so, so there's no one particular thing. It's just vast. It's just vast. Mm-hmm. Um, and also one of the biggest things to be concerned about is the people. Are yeah? people compromised? Because if, if, we, if, if, if we go back and, and, and just have a look at what the resources that, um, are, that, that um, government foes have, Let's 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 take a let's take a battleship for example. Mm-hmm. There will be there will be specific divisions who are just targeted on looking at that battleship. They'll know what it is. They will know the components that are on there. They'll know where it's located in the world. They'll know when it's next coming in for its service. They'll know its crew. They'll know its captain. They'll know the senior officers. They'll know the schools where their children go to. They'll know the clubs that their wife goes to. So you can do extremely accurate spear phishing. For example, you could say, right, I need to access the captain's tools, whatever they may be. Therefore, I'm going to send an email from the school because I can break into the school and I can convince the captain to click on something. So the real threat is just the, the, the motivation and the capabilities of the foes who are targeting, targeting that. And they've got all manner of tools in their arsenals. They've got entire spy agencies. They've got teams of developers. They've got, you know vast resources in order to, to, to try and target these, these tools. And right. that's probably the most significant threat. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great point of the amount of vast resources that you have to battle against. You mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, um, many government agencies have had a history of much longer term planning and kind of this <clears throat> thought process of we need to build an in-house sort of mentality. As the <clears throat> security landscape is being is so dynamic. Are you seeing that historical approach of everything in house uh, changing? And if so, how? Yeah. So so we are. So historically, uh, we find governments like to buy something and know what they're getting. Okay. So they do um, extremely large procurement exercises, and within the procurement exercises, it's defined. I want this. It's going to be delivered like this, and it's going to look like this when it's finished. And if there's any deviation from that. Well, 
I need some money, please, in order to pay for that. So it's, it's expensive to, to deviate from that. So we're finding um, a much more, uh, we're finding quite an appetite for more sprint methodologies where um, the government agency or, or whoever it would be require a capability, they pay for it. Um, more of a solution which was going to evolve and they'll, they'll have preset first three months we'll have this to this this is what we delivered after this right we like what you've done here we'll pivot it and it'll change to to this or it'll, we don't like that anymore take that away and change it and we're finding that that is proving to be quite successful certainly in the cyberspace where where things are are far more dynamic that's interesting okay so as government organizations are evaluating and implementing more off-the-shelf security solutions, or at least components, what are some characteristics of those tools? And are there areas like SOAR or AI or XDR where they're focusing more of their time, attention, and money? All of the above. <laughs> um, because because environments are so complicated. It's, and it's not just... The amount of equipment out there, there's the fact that there are multiple prime contractors all doing different parts and they all have to work together even though they don't necessarily want to. And it, and it makes for quite it makes for a complicated environment to operate in. Um, and that means and, and you get different primes will be providing the saw capability, different primes will be hosting, you know, site tools and sensors and, and, and all, all that sort of stuff. So so it's a real mix of everything and, and necessarily so just through the complexity of what's out there, different types of tools are needed to do different sort of things. And I'm going to say machine learning and not AI. Um, machine learning is, a, is an extremely important part of, of just trying to make sense of the vast amounts of data. Okay. And, and, and focusing analysts on where they need to look. You, look you know, there's no point in having all this information if you don't know where the threat is. Right. And using the various tools and capabilities, a mix of open source, a mix of um, uh, vendor Technology is essentially best of breed for this, best of breed for that, best of breed for that, all brought together into a single, a single, a large um, um, security architecture, if you like. Right. Well, if all of this isn't enough that you've already highlighted, what, how has COVID um, impacted the government space and, and in security, of course, as, as a general rule? But, um, you know, a lot of tech companies are used to remote workforces to mm. A greater extent than most government entities. So, how how do you see it changing government? Well, for one, it means that I have to sit at my desk all day every day and have done for ages. Uh, hopefully, things are going to open up. It's it's a significant challenge for new capabilities. Um, when, when you're, it's a significant challenge right the way across the board. Um, governments have had to make the change um, for for remote working. We've seen a significant increase in our business because of that, because they've just had to scale up to, to allow secure remote working up to, up to certain classifications. And what we found, a positive impact of this in some of the countries has been, this, there's, all, there's always been a desire in certain countries to get more in-house capability, to be more self-sufficient, not to have to, to rely on pulling in contractors who specialise in this and this and this. And... The fact it is harder for people to travel means that the overall ideal of having in-house capability and having local local ability to, to do things is, is being accelerated because um, the local teams are having to be more self-sufficient. And so one of the impacts is people are becoming more self-sufficient. Um, 
you know, it, it's not, that's the only positive I can come up with. Other than that, it's, it's, it's hard for everybody and significant money has had to be thrown. You know, we've seen it in multiple countries across the world yeah. um, in remote connectivity. They still, you know, people still have to go on site for the high security tiers, but um, yeah, it's, 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 it's not fun and it's proven to be a challenge. Um, and it means that we can be less, it's harder for us to help the customer out if, we, if we're doing things remote, as opposed right. to being, being on site. Yeah, I've had, I've had a number of guests talk to me about the much heavier increased uh, expectations and concern around the the VPN concentrators, right? So mm. th- getting that remote access in, making sure it's performing and making sure uh, make, making sure it's secure, right? So clearly some some new bottleneck points that maybe weren't as heavily stressed in the past. Yeah, but if you if you look at, at, at the things which have, have have developed, you know, just 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 within within Endace, um, we've got far more capable remote remote communication capabilities. Everybody's firing up their webcams, and we have much better collaboration um, tools in place because it's we, we're not seeing each other as often, and, and and that's that's something which has been replicated everywhere. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. So, Steve, one of the questions I always like to ask our industry experts is: Looking out, you're a forecaster. What's the one thing you look for uh, or you recommend for people to think about and to maybe really pay attention to over the next six to 18 months in this constantly shifting battle for cybersecurity? Yeah, there's going there's to be there's going to be more automation. Certainly, certainly at the high, high levels of business. So there's going to be a requirement for as, as the threat landscape increases, as people are doing more remote working, you know, there's much, much, much more touch points across the network at, at risk, which have to be monitored and, and, and made sense of and, and, and risks mitigated. Um, so there's going to be a lot more automation um, around that. What we're finding um, with, with the work that we do is we're finding there's, there's, there's a desire to be much more dynamic with your sensors. So be able to deploy capability and rapidly change that capability. Um, so instead of putting physical boxes in the ground, be able to virtualize your, your security architecture. And there's all sorts of benefits for that, but it means that you can, you can, you can chop and change much more easily and test um, much more easily. And that's something which is, it is extremely hard to do at um, classified, classified levels. So we are seeing more dynamism when we look at... Um, um, security analytics, security sensors, flow generation, and metadata extraction, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Tremendous. Thank you, Steve, for taking the time and joining us, sharing your no insights and your expertise in how no to better secure networks. We ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our Fusion Technology partners, please go to endace.com. Steve, again, thanks for joining and have a great day. Thank you. You too.